You're listening to Digging Deep, understanding the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Sacramento District, the show that tries to simplify what the district does. So the Sacramento District is what we call full-service district. It's, it's unique in a lot of ways. Floods of record are the biggest storm you've ever seen in the recorded history of the region. I mean, the last thing you want is to have um, water starting to seep through a levee or a dam. The number one thing for us is really people. We can't get it done without our people. Welcome to Digging Deep. I'm your host, Rick Brown. If you hearken back to episode one of the podcast, you'll recall we talked with Sacramento District Commander Colonel James Hondura and got some insight to what it means to be a military engineer. If you missed that episode, by the way, I encourage you to go check it out and get a feel for a military commander's perspective on what USACE and the Sacramento District does. But as you'll hear us occasionally touch on in this show, the Army Corps of Engineers, while very much being a U.S. Army major command, is a largely civilian organization. So we finally got a chance to talk with Sacramento District's Engineering Division Chief, Rick Peppelman, a proud U.S. Army civilian, to get some insight to what it means to be a civilian engineer in this military command. Now, I'll warn you up front, there were some challenges by a less than stellar phone connection, but we were really able to glean some great nuggets from Rick on his path to becoming a USACE civilian engineer. Let's get to it. What do you see as as kind of the difference between the military side of engineering and what people kind of picture in their minds as a military engineer and blowing things up versus kind of the civilian side? The Army Corps of Engineers is a, a, a DOD organization, an Army organization, right? right. And uh, the district is, is uh, headed by a military officer. But the district is also largely made up of civilians. So can you kind of talk to that and, and where where the civilian side comes from and, and how they marry up? So most of what we do on the civilian side are all traditional engineering um, activities. So the civil engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and um, all the others that we have, that, that's what you go to school for. That's what you learn. And then that's that's what we apply. We usually apply industry standards to a lot of what we do. And the Corps of Engineers is, um, particularly in the Civil Works program, has developed our own, our own criteria and codes, but they they resemble the private sector. We adapt those, you know, like a building, you can use a building code that's already established and you can take that and you might modify it. We're looking at the military, um, facilities, you know, make sure they can withstand um, blast loads and things like that. But it's pretty much traditional engineering, what, what we've learned in school, and then, you know, our, our on-the-job training and our um, training just like everybody else does. So, um, yeah, things cross um, a little bit. So the, the military engineers, a lot of those are engineers. They might be West Point grads. They might be, they may have come through ROTC programs at universities, you know, that the civilians would go to. So those guys are sitting in the same classroom, usually. So the, the basics, the physics, I guess, maybe is a good way to put it, are the same. The, the law of gravity doesn't change because it's military or civil work or civil. So I think um, what really happens is the military side, is, it's more of a, it's more related to combat, and that's where you get blowing things up, right? How do you, 
how do you quickly put a bridge in or take a bridge out, right? If necessary. So, so you need to know that kind of that explosive side of the house. Um, now we do similar things. So one of our dams is the Bella Dam. We're building that project. We're doing a dam safety modification and part of the need is to reinforce the embankments and make them taller. So we got to get material and we want to get good quality material. So we're out there blowing up rock so we can make gravels and drainage material and, and, and just fill material. So now those are very controlled and they're very safe. It's not, you know, we're not rushing in there to take, take the hill or anything like that. It's like, um, we're going to take it systematically and methodically and be really safe about it. But so there are things, there's a lot of things that overlap between the two. And I would just say the military engineering is really more about kind of being out on the, you know, the spearhead. So a, a military engineer can hold the same engineering degree that you can as a civilian, bottom line, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And they can be registered professionally and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you feel maybe is like one of the bigger myths or misconceptions that people believe about engineering and how do you address that? Perhaps um, they can usually see the, particularly for the army corps, you can see the results because we're mostly doing uh, dealing with the constructed environment. So, and, and facilities, so you can see the results and, you know, a lot of the buildings on the military bases don't, don't look that much different than, build, you know, any other building out there in, in the town or, or city. So, and then our, our dams, that's a little bit different. I don't think people quite understand exactly how we go about that, but um, it's, I mean, it comes down to physics. And if um, people have a, at least an idea of physics, I think they can understand most of what we do. You know, I would say the biggest stereotype, that, um, the idea that engineers are not, they're, they're not necessarily good representatives of their own profession, but we do have a lot of folks that, that are really good at, at communicating and, con- and conveying, taking some of the detailed technical stuff that we do and put it in lay terms. So, and there's a big need for that. Uh, we, we do want the public to understand. We want them to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And um, we also want, like when we talk, start talking about dams and levees, we're building these structured certain areas, right? And people need to know what they're what they're living behind, what the quality is, and what they're capable of, because that there's always a risk that something we've designed for some level of flooding, for instance. There's always a risk that something bigger is going to happen that, that we haven't seen before. We don't do much of it here in Sacramento, but when you get into the southeast and the hurricanes, um, you know, there's design codes for hurricanes, right? To, to make sure you build the structures strong enough to survive um, large hurricanes. And uh, clearly that hasn't been perfected yet based on, you know, recent hurricanes that are getting bigger and stronger and more often. I've, I've heard it said that uh, it's more difficult to repair a dam than it is to build a brand new one. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I mean, they both have challenges. A new dam I think once you're able to pick out a site and evaluate it, um, the big problem right now is, is more of a, the environmental concerns that come with it, right? That's a big challenge. So a lot of times we have to adapt our, our engineering and our designs to, to kind of meet the requirements of the environment, um, which, is, which is a good thing. But otherwise, you know, you're, you're dealing with a clean slate from a design and construction standpoint pretty much. So that's why they can be easier. On the other side, when we're modifying a dam, Usually we're dealing with a dam that needs to be in operation still and needs to be able to store water while we're doing that. that. That's one of the biggest challenges. How do you do that safely? 
what times of year can you actually go in there and, and lower the dam while you're fixing it? Those kinds of things make it a bigger challenge. Now, one of the positive things is the environmental piece of it isn't maybe isn't quite as severe because you're dealing with something that's already there. You're not going to change the environment, you know, as much as a new dam might. So there's pluses and minuses. Existing dams, when they're 50, 60 years old, it's hard to figure out. Trying to get those old records, how was it built? What was it built on? You know, what kind of foundation? That becomes a big, a big challenge too. So, yeah, because a dam that's fifty or sixty years old was built during a time prior to computers, certainly, right? Yep. And just a different understanding of how everything works, I guess, right? Yeah, definitely. The all kind of more of the water side of it, the hydrology, the rain. Those estimates were based on limited um, actual data. So it turns out those the engineers of that generation did a pretty good job, like they did on a lot of things, right? And then um, one of the big differences we see out here in California, in particular, West Coast, is seismic. Our knowledge of earthquakes and faults and stuff 50, 60 years ago was pretty limited. It was a very much of a kind of a rule of thumb approach. And we do see that um, when we have to go back and upgrade Usually seismicity is part of that. You know, there might be a fault that goes right through the dam site. Everybody assumed it was inactive, and but nope, it actually, it can move, and it, it has moved not too long ago. The state of the practice, the state of the art, in estimating those hydrologic and, and seismology kinds of things are, have gotten way better. You, you've mentioned so many things here, and it's, and it's really kind of hard to wrap the brain around how many different things are going on. I wonder if you can just real quickly like run off a list of some of the different disciplines involved in engineering. So, I mean, you've got engineers, but you've also got what geologists and hydrologists. Can you kind of run down a list of those? Yeah, we'll start with the engineering part of it first. So civil engineering is an umbrella. So within the civil engineering profession, we have civil side engineers, we have structural we have geotech, we have hydraulics, we have materials. Um, that's probably most of the civil engineering related disciplines. And then we have mechanicals and electricals, cost engineers. Um, actually, every once in a while, we'll hire an industrial engineer. And I'm, I'm probably missing an engineer or two in there. Uh, environmental engineers this is a big one, too. Yeah, so, so we do hire a number of environmental engineers. And then to get more into the, so architects, landscape architects, interior designers, and then more of the science-based, um, so geologists, that's a big one. Uh, you mentioned hydrologists, so that's their, their key to a lot of our civil works projects. Chemists, we have a chemistry section um, that's, that's part of our environmental engineering group. Um, toxicologists, so we have a need for toxicologists. Again, that's an environmental program. Um, yeah, you've already listed like at least a dozen, maybe fifteen different career fields there, yeah, and they all have a part spread. in all of this. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting ones is geophysicists. Well, we have land sur- we have surveyors, land surveyors, and now we have GIS specialists, and we have a team. We have a a drone, a, a UAS team that flies drones for us. We have our own drones, and we can go out and do photographs and and survey. We can actually survey with them. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so we got we have our own pilots. Yeah. What what um, inspired you to become an engineer? You know, kind of just the normal. And this is probably fairly typical. 
um, unless you have a, an engineer in the family or something like that, you know. So I didn't have that. So it was mostly just my interest, my interest in math and um, science, physics, um, that just kind of fell into place. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to think about it too much. And then um, I kind of chose civil engineering. Number one, you know, when you're a senior in high school or junior in high school, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Okay, it's engineering. So civil engineering has this broad umbrella of multiple different things you can do. And I thought that attracted me. It's the built environment. So what you do, what you design and construct, and everybody you can see it, right? And actually, hey, I did that. Uh, we got it done. And now let's move on to the next one. So, so nobody in particular that kind of led you down that path, but has there been anybody in your life that, you know, has really had a big impact on either your career or somebody you just really learned a nugget from that's helped you along your career path? So um, I, I will say, I think my senior year in college, one of my professors, he taught a, was a graduate level course that I took and he had a strong connection to the Corps of Engineers. He came out of the military, and he was a hydraulics guy, but he knew everything that the Corps did. So that left an impression on me. So that was kind of the start. So then it's like, oh, the Corps of Engineers, that's what they do. Okay, that, that could be of interest to me, and it, and it was. And then kind of coming to work for the Corps of Engineers, I came in in the early 80s, President Reagan and all the buildup. Um, a huge amount of money put by the government into our military facilities and bases. So coming into that environment and the civil works program was starting to take off at the same time. But I, I, I did have a couple of supervisors that were very influential that I worked for for a few years in one case and uh, 10 or 15 years in another case. I mean, we go on inspections and stuff and it was just like, this is, this is fun. You know, this is, this is fantastic. I think that I, I got off on the right foot with, Plenty of work and a, and a fantastic supervisor. I always like the challenge. I like solving solving problems, and we usually don't get the easy stuff to do. So, yeah, I would say that just the mentoring and coaching at the very beginning of my career was was very instrumental. Well, what what kind of career advice would you offer a young person thinking about getting into engineering? Uh, I would tell them to seek out a mentor and a coach. You know, try to try to connect with somebody to help you, and then. You know, be willing to kind of maybe experiment a little bit and kind of figure out what you really like doing. Is it is it getting into the real the weeds, the technical stuff, and the, the hardcore engineering, or is it more from a management standpoint and, and being a program project manager? Kind of finding out what you like doing. So, kind of where's where's your best fit? And you need to take some time. You need to learn about yourself. Yeah, great advice. Listen, I know we've only got a couple minutes left here, and I want to be respectful of your time. But before we go, sure. I want to uh, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Are you familiar with the Proust questionnaire? I I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so so Marcel Proust, Marcel Proust was a French writer back in the early 1900s that came up with this list of questions, kind of like the you know if you were a tree, what kind of a tree would you be type of questions. And he believed you know that you know by answering these types of questions that we get to know the real person kind of deep down inside. Really, these are pretty harmless questions. I'm not going to ask you all of them, but I've got a few that I'd love to run by you. Are you are you willing to uh, play the game? Sure. Yeah. All right. So just answer with the first thing that pops in your head. And if you need to pass, say pass. I think they're pretty harmless. All right. Here's the first one. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Uh, you know, having enough time 
to think through and solve a problem. You know, not being too hurried and being able to think things through. And yeah, that's good. That's a that's a really intelligent answer, actually. What's your greatest extravagance? Wow. Um, well, there aren't too many things that I would that I would put in that category. Maybe travel. My wife and I like to travel a lot, so yeah. Um, whether it's for vacation or um, have you have a favorite destination? You know, um, it's varied over the years. But at one point, it was Lake Tahoe. So recently, it's been down in the desert, Palm Springs area. Particularly when you go during the winter, then you know it's pretty nice um, temperature-wise. Sure. Now, one of the things that we did do a few years back, we we made a little over a week trip down to Cabo. That was very relaxing. We did a month tour in France and Europe um, a couple of years ago and all the history. So that was, that was a ton of fun too. So. Yeah. All great destinations. Yeah. All right. What is the quality you like most in a person? Quality. Let's see. So number one, uh, humor, you know, I, I like to keep things light uh, when I can. Uh, uh, and, even even when we're you know even when the conditions might not be they may be pretty serious I think it's always good to have have some humor in there so everybody kind of relaxes a little bit so I think humor is a big one for me and then um, I guess trust um, trust is big those are good yeah all yeah. right uh, this should be a, an easy one for or maybe not an easy one for you I mean you're you're the uh, chief of engineering for you know the Sacramento District Corps of Engineers. <laughs> tons and tons of projects under your belt, but this doesn't necessarily even have to relate to your job. What do you consider to be your greatest achievement? Oh, wow. Um, my greatest achievement. You know, I, I think um, I've done plenty of big projects. Um, we've accomplished, you know, I've been involved and led a, led, led a number of different things, but one of the things that I uh, I guess I enjoy, and I, I felt like I've done a fair amount of this, but really building organizations and kind of trying to solve that, you know, that puzzle of how do we get, how do we set ourselves up for success? How do we, how do I set my team up for success? And I think I've done a decent job. I, I've got to, to help with that on the regional and national level at times. Um, you know, I really like talking to, talking to people and the engineers, you know, particularly the younger ones, less experienced. I really enjoy enjoy that part of the job. So I like to see um, maybe somebody that I hired and mentored and coached, and then see them kind of grow. Yeah, that's always rewarding, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here's here's the last question I have for you, and this may tell us more about Rick Peppelman than any other question. <laughs> Who is your favorite superhero? Oh wow! <laughs> so that's a good one. My youngest daughter and I um, are big. Uh, Big Marvel and, and uh, superhero fans. So we had this discussion not too long ago. <laughs> Perfect. So I, I got two of them, I think. So one of them is Batman, just uh, kind of a normal person, but as you know, able either either through technology or or self improvement, even turned himself into the superhero. So that's kind of a neat thing to me. And then um, kind of this one is a little bit. So my my youngest daughter even kind of looked at me weird. The Incredible Hulk. That was my other superhero. He's got this embedded with him, this sense of humor that, that strikes me. So, and yeah. it comes out every once in a while. But And he's also this big green, big green thing. But yeah, so those are my two. <laughs> so not just one. 
Many thanks once again to Rick Peppelman, Chief of the Engineering Division for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Sacramento District. If you'd like to learn more about the Sacramento District's mission, you can visit us on the web at spk.usace.army.mil. And if you're interested in exploring the various job openings available within USACE, all of those are posted at usajobs.gov. We'll include both of those web addresses in the written podcast description. 